Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. Today we're reaching back into our archive to hear an encore edition of River to River. Alcohol-related deaths are on the rise in Iowa. So this hour we're spending uh, exploring why these alcohol-related deaths have been increasing for, for all ages, all age groups, most significantly, though, for older Iowans. We'll also discuss the soaring alcohol use that has happened during the pandemic, what can be done about these alarming trends. In just a few minutes, we'll be joined by Paul Gilbert of the University of Iowa College of Public Health. He specialized, has for many years studied alcohol use and misuse. Uh, he's uh, part of a team that worked on this latest report on alcohol-related deaths in Iowa. But first, this is really important. Let's get a firsthand account from someone who has struggled with alcohol misuse. And uh, before we say hello to her, I want to reach out to you. Perhaps you or a loved one have been affected by alcohol, struggled with it, uh, perhaps since the onset of the pandemic. Uh, would you be in favor of tighter restrictions as this report um, uh, recommends? We'd like to hear from you because, you know, a big part of this hour is breaking down taboos about talking about this disease. And our first guest is uh, leading the charge to help us do that. Rachel Barnhart is with us. Uh, she's recovered from alcohol misuse and jo uh, joining us now. She's now a, a certified recovery and wellness coach. Joining me in the Iowa City studio, Rachel Barnhart. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Let's start off with having you take us back to your sort of earliest remembrances of how you got on the path to using alcohol and then misusing alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly did misuse it. Uh, I think that as a child... I really struggled with anxiety and depression. I think it was just part of who I was. Um, I was an insecure and afraid child, and I saw other people drinking, and I think that I just assumed that there was something about that magical elixir. I had already decided before I drank that people were getting happy when they drank. I can remember being a young child and going around to my parents or my aunts and uncles and saying, can I have a sip? Can I have a sip? Can I have a sip? And I thought they just thought I was funny. Nobody meant any harm to me, certainly. But I, I believe that I am so affected by the power of alcohol that I started to crave it shortly after I started drinking it. Um, how, how early in your life? How old? I started drinking when when I was 14. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. At a slumber party, there was me and a couple of girls. And somehow or another, we found a way to sneak it in. And yeah. guess what? We just had a good old time. A, a lot of teenagers, myself included, have that in our memories as well. So um, it, it, it turned to be a problem when? In my teen years, most mm -hmm. definitely. I... Um, Chronic pain and migraine headaches are a very large part of my story, too. And I think that what that is also related to my even bigger story of depression. Um, um, I started seeing neurologists when I was 13, 14 for, for migraine headaches. And I 
this was a chronic problem that I had, and um, I was constantly in a state of physical pain. I was in depression. I was in anxiety, and I would drink, and that pain would go away. And I, throughout my teens, my 20s, my 30s, and part of my 40s, I was constantly trying to control my pain. Um, But nothing worked except for alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that by having a couple at night. Wait, I never had a couple. I didn't understand that having three or four in a night was getting me addicted. I was telling myself that it was killing my pain, that I go to work every day, that I work hard, that I got good grades, I have a really good job, you I make really it. good... You just... Dang right, I deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So bring us up to speed on the costs, years, I assume years into the future, um, list list the costs in your life. It, legal. It cost you a, maybe a marriage, legal cost. Cons- me a marriage. It cost- Work, a job? It cost me a job. I tore down a very lucrative career. Um, it cost me a marriage. It cost me my dignity. It cost me, it cost me myself. I mean, I never thought, or- I thought that an alcoholic was somebody who had to be drinking all the time. Mm. I didn't understand that you could go a couple of days and not drink and still be an alcoholic. I have a friend in recovery who likes to say it's not how much or how often, it's what happens when you take that first drink. And for some of us, the first drink is the only choice. I'll tell you, I tried over and over and over again to experiment it and to control it, and it never worked. And it just, the more I tried to control the juice, mm-hmm. the worse off it got. This hour, we're going to learn about the different paths to recovery. Uh, quickly, what, uh, Rachel, what was your path to recovery? 12 step. That's the, where I started. 12-step uh, AA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 12-step w- recovery. Was there a certain day or a series of days? Because I know some people uh, make a promise to recover and then fall back on that promise. Was there a certain day in your memory where you says, this this is rock bottom for me. I'm not doing this anymore. Yes, there was. Um, but I didn't realize that um, I was leading up to making a decision like that. I was oblivious to it. Uh, but it was in the pandemic, shortly after the pandemic. And um, I'm actually one of the weird people that the pandemic helped. I've soared and my life has flourished as a result of the pandemic. But uh, my husband has asthma and I have a daughter who had childhood asthma and we were being real strict about the pandemic and we were trying to take all these precautions because nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what to do. And I was very afraid. I was afraid I was going to lose my husband. I was afraid he was going to get asthma and die. Mm. And um, I found myself in a convenience store one day with a bottle of vodka in my hand going, what in the heck am I doing? I mean, I'm willing to put down all this enforcement to make sure that COVID doesn't come into my house, which I can't control that anyway. Mm -hmm. But here I am doing that, which I hate. And I mean, and suddenly it was like, that was when I had the moment of what I had become was intolerable. 
And so I woke up one morning and I made a decision to change. And I don't even think that I thought that it was going to be permanent. I didn't realize that I was going to get sober. I just knew I needed a day. And I came back and I just decided to listen to what other people said about how to get sober. And I tell you, once I got two or three days in a row of no drinking, I can remember the moment thinking, oh my gosh, I've got this. I've got a chance. And I just knew what to do. I've got a chance. Not that you had succeeded, but that you saw the path to succeed, right? Because yes. it's not like all of a sudden you've conquered this thing. I had hope. I had hope. And that's what I hadn't had. I was in a hopeless state of mind and body. I mm-hmm. could not stop drinking. I could not. Or when I did stop drinking, it was worse because it was the inner critic that critical voice in my head just telling me all sorts of nonsense. Mm-hmm. How many days? Do you keep track of the days since you've I had your... I don't, but it's been two years. Congratulations. Thank I you can see so the big, much. The big smile, the brightness of your <laughs> eyes and your Thank face. You. Thank you. Lo- you. You look wonderful. You're, you, you're full of joy. I can see I, that. It, I, you, I, I celebrate that with you. It sounds ridiculous to say this, but I am so much better off now as a result of having alcoholism than without it because it was my addiction that ripped off the mask of my depression. Mm, wonderful story. We want to get to Paul Gilbert here in, in just a moment, but but tell me, how have you transformed your your addiction t- to help others? What do you do now? Well, I, I mean, I, I help others is what I do. I, I wake up in the morning and I have a routine that puts me in a spirit of being helpful, really. Um, and um, how do I help people? It, it depends on who the person is. I mean, some people I help on a professional basis. And um, there are others that are uh, just in recovery that uh, we have a non-professional but helpful relationship with. So whether it be making change plans or there's all sorts of things in recovery. Um, But yeah, for me, usually what it means is rebuilding life after addiction. Okay, we're talking about the increase in real alcohol problems here in the state, uh, a report on uh, an increase in alcohol deaths, alcohol-related deaths in the state. Uh, to start off our show, we've been listening to Rachel Barnhart. of uh, She's an Iowan and, and now is a recovery and wellness coach and uh, really passionate, as you can tell, <laughs> and I have to believe really effective. Uh, let's welcome also to our conversation Paul Gilbert, Associate Professor of Community and Behavioral Health at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. He specializes in studying alcohol use and misuse. He was part of a, uh, a team working on this report uh, put out by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Paul Gilbert, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ben. I'm really glad to be here and to be part of this conversation. So tell us uh, about your specific area of research and how it feeds into this specific recent report. I'd love to. Well, I'm going to start off by saying that I am not a person in recovery, but this is a major part of my research program, uh, trying to understand the pattern of drinking, uh, what causes problems, what sort of problems people are having, and how do we help them get out of problems. And I think this is a nice compliment to what Rachel was sharing just a moment ago. So I was part of the group that wrote this report, this recent report, and it's been a long time coming. The group was convened in 2019 
because we had seen more and more data accumulating that there were more and more alcohol-related problems, and specifically early deaths uh, among adults age 45 and older. And this is a public health perspective, something from my discipline that we call premature mortality. You know, when everybody is born, we have a, a life expectancy, the average number of years we expect somebody who's born in such and such year to live. And because of our tracking of death certificates and reporting, when somebody dies before they reach that age, that's what we call a premature death. We don't expect people to, to die that soon. And we start to investigate, keep track of the causes. Is it cancer? Is it COVID? Is it car crashes? Is it alcohol? And this is an important topic for Iowa because we are a heavy drinking state. We are consistently above the national average in terms of adults who binge drink, that is having high quantities in a single episode. Uh, and we are seeing more and more evidence of harms from that, from things like car crashes, simple unintentional injuries to these deaths. So this group was convened to review the evidence, try and synthesize what we know, maybe identify some gaps, what we don't know yet, and come up with some recommendations for what we could do. And these recommendations were not telling anybody, either individually or the legislature or the governor, were simply synthesizing the scientific knowledge, putting it forward so folks can make the best informed decision. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned a couple of them, but run through the high points. Um the big takeaways from this latest report. You mentioned one there that perhaps you can expand on a little bit. Um, Alcohol-involved deaths of, of Iowans over 45 doubled since 2008. So what is going on there, and specifically men, I believe, right? That's correct. That's correct. This is part of a national trend that we've actually been seeing. So Iowa is moving just like the rest of the nation, where we've seen drinking levels increasing over the last two decades. Alcohol use is now the third leading cause of, or third leading preventable cause of death across the nation overall. And we've also seen women's drinking come more closely to men's drinking patterns. And traditionally, historically, there have been fewer women who've who've been drinkers or they've drunk less on average than men. But nowadays, they're pretty similar. Um, and we have seen among older generations a uh, more rapid increase as they've gotten older. And that's puzzling because most often the traditional pattern is young folks start drinking when they're young, late teens, early 20s, and then they have a rapid rise and then a decrease. They hit a peak usually in their early 20s, levels off. If they're going to continue drinking, for most people, it kind of levels off for the life course. But this is a really puzzling uptick later in life, in middle age and later. And it has some pretty serious consequences, too, if you have more health conditions, if you're taking prescription medication, and there may be interactions, especially among older, say, uh, you know, 65 and above, mm -hmm. when things start to quickly get more complicated, metabolisms change, you can't process alcohol as well as you did, you know, several decades earlier when you were younger. To be honest, we don't have a good understanding of why all these deaths are, are increasing, and there's likely multiple factors contributing to it. But the common theme is that it revolves around alcohol use and heavy alcohol use, which is a norm in and, Iowa. And let's go to the recommendations because it has to do with also with access, right? Right. That is a big part of it. And I have to say, a lot of people think of just educating people or teaching them. We all know that alcohol can be harmful. We all know about the potential for dependence. And at the same time, it's everywhere. 
we mark every major life transition with drinking, births and weddings and promotions and retirements. Um, it really is a fundamental part of our social and cultural lives, although we know that it has the potential for harm. So some of the better strategies would be not to rely on individual people making good or poor decisions, but to shape the context, to shape the environment. The, poli so, the policies. Exactly. So we could regulate how many alcohol outlets are in a neighborhood or hours of sale. We already do this to a large extent with, you know, you have to have a license to sell alcohol, whether it's for on-premise or off-premise consumption. Mm -hmm. We set a minimum age for purchasing alcohol, but we can shape the environment much better. And that's a large part of the recommendations here, including even things like price controls, setting, say, minimum unit pricing for alcohol, um, taxation. We know that just like tobacco use, just like cigarettes, Drinking is very responsive to economic conditions. So if you increase, say, the excise tax, it's not going to have usually a large impact on any individual. But if over the whole state people dial back one or two drinks per month, yeah. that has a tremendous effect when you think of the hundreds of thousands of active drinkers in Iowa at any one time. So what comes to mind for me, $1 pitchers when I was in college. That's what yeah. I mean, the economic, that's the point you're making, the economic thing. One dollar pitchers maybe not a good idea for a for a bar or a that uh, is any very restaurant. much discouraged. Yes, <laughs> having things like that or two for one specials or uh, yeah. here in Iowa City uh, we used to have you know ladies' nights, uh, no cover for ladies or one penny drinks, buy one get one for a penny, things yeah. like that. Twenty one pitchers for twenty one dollars. Yeah, <laughs> have you have you been in a place like that, Rachel? <laughs> there was a place in Iowa City like that when I turned 21, in fact. Oh, my. Okay. Um, so uh, other recommendations you haven't mentioned? Because I want Rachel to, before we say goodbye her to her at the halfway point, have her weigh in and react to these recommendations. What else, Paul? Well, of course, education uh, is important to let people know that we never say that there is zero risk drinking or safe drinking. We say it's either low risk or high risk. And we do have some recommendations for women, no more than one drink per day or seven drinks in total per week. For men, it's no more than two drinks per day or no more than 14 drinks per week. If folks are of age, 21 and older, if they choose to drink, if they do it within those guidelines and in ways that don't harm themselves or others, then generally we consider that's low risk. That shouldn't be problematic. Mm -hmm. But as I said, a large number of folks in Iowa are drinking above that, are engaging in this sort of binge drinking, the high intensity drinking, and that's what we're concerned about. Mm -hmm. How did we get? How do we get that way quickly with, with with Iowa? Why should Iowa be one of the states with the heaviest binge drinkers in the state in the country? It. I don't really know. Uh, and we are part of a region, the whole North Central Midwest region is a very heavy drinking region um, mm -hmm. compared to other regions of the US. I really don't know. And a lot of people talk about like, well, it's largely rural. There's nothing to do. We're bored. Winters. There, Every state has rural areas. Not every state has this pattern of drinking. So I'm not really sure. There's something culturally about it. It's acceptable. It's also our policy choices that we've made alcohol so widely available that you can go to any convenience store, any grocery store. You step into Hy-Vee to get bananas and your beer is right there. All right, um, Paul, I want to have um, you'll be with us in the second half hour. We're going to say goodbye to Rachel. Shared such a stirring, uh, uplifting story, I have to say, in their first uh, few minutes of our program. Wait, Rachel, you're sitting next to Paul. What, what do you think of these recommendations? I saw you nodding your head, uh, but are, are there things you're like, 
yeah to that, but nah, I'm not so sure about that other recommendation. Well, I, I had to smile when I, I heard the recommendations for daily drinks for women and men. Uh, it's Rachel gets zero drinks per day. <laughs> I never, though, understood the point of having just one drink to be perfectly candid. I just know that when I drink and I think and I know a lot of people who are exactly like this, but you start to drink and there's that feeling of euphoria and it lasts for about 20 minutes. And then once that starts to go away, I would chase it and I could not stop. For me, I mean, the government can make as many policies as they want, but if somebody wants to drink, unfortunately, I think that's what's going to happen. And, and Paul, we know in Rachel's case, so, so this is in some part uh, DNA, alcoholism. It's like a, a button that gets pressed and then culturally we reinforce it. Is, is that the way we should see it? Absolutely. You know, I like to say that there's multiple ways into a problem and there's also multiple ways out of a problem. But there, there absolutely is a genetic component. It doesn't mean that people are predestined uh, yeah. to have a problem. But there's a genetic component. Um, the more that you drink, the more that you're exposed to alcohol, just the greater your risk, regardless of your genetic makeup uh, of developing a, a dependence. Um, but there's also all the social and cultural cues around us. If you're in a pro-drinking environment, you'll drink more. Okay. Rachel, you have the final 30 seconds to a minute. Talk to someone out there listening right now saying, wow, Rachel's really connecting with me. I may have a problem what do I do, Rachel, in short? You go to evolvecoaching.us and you book an appointment with me, Rachel Barnhart. But um, <laughs> if you're struggling and if you don't know if you have a problem, if you're trying to decide if you have a problem with alcohol, I just want you to know that I was there and I questioned that for many years too. But normal drinkers do not question if they have a problem with alcohol. And it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. Paul, you're nodding your head. A few seconds. Add on to that. So much of what Rachel has shared with us just echoes what I've learned in my research. So uh, thank you for sharing your story, Rachel. Indeed. Rachel Barnhart, uh, a certified recovery and wellness coach, thank you for sharing your story and, uh, and just exuding, glowing with wellness now. Thank it's you. a delight. Thank you so much, guys. I love being here. Today, you've been listening to an encore edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. 
But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. You're listening to an archive edition of River to River. I'm Ben Kiefer talking this hour about uh, the misuse of alcohol, rising alcohol-related deaths in Iowa. We heard such a compelling first-person uh, account from uh, Rachel. This, uh, if, I hope you were with us. If you weren't, you know, you, or you heard part of it, we always podcast these broadcasts. So you can go to iowapublicradio.org. Uh, perhaps you'd like to listen to that account. If you didn't hear the whole thing, hear it again or send it to a friend or family member who might be moved by that. We're talking about a recent report showing alcohol-related deaths on the rise in Iowa, exploring why these deaths have increased for all age groups, especially uh, for older Iowans, Uh, the soaring alcohol use during the pandemic, also, what can be done uh, to curb these alarming trends? Uh, with us uh, for the entire rest of the hour, Paul Gilbert, Associate Professor of Community and Behavioral Health at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. He was part of a team working on this report for the uh, Iowa Department of Public Health. Uh, and so giving it some context, uh, historical context, and explaining um, uh, where we are and, and what we can do about it. Uh, Paul, before we, we introduce our next guest uh, here, I want to have you, for any people who need reminding, what were the major findings of this report and, and its recommendations? Sure. Thank you, Ben. Well, the major conclusion here is that alcohol use is a problem. Deaths have been rising, in fact, doubling over a couple of decades in Iowa, and that is also in line with the national trend. And we wanted to understand all the factors that might be contributing to that so that then we could take appropriate action. Um, And the report outlines the background, the basics of what is the alcohol control structure in Iowa? What are the recommended strategies? uh, And it really serves as a synthesis of all the information, the best information that we have so that decision makers and even individuals can make the best informed decisions. Mm -hmm. And we want to provide resources uh, this uh, hour, too. So I think you mentioned in the break um, um, a a website that people can go to if they have concerns about themselves, uh, a loved one, or just want to find out more. Or if they're just curious about the topic, there's a really terrific website that the National Institutes of Health has created. It's called Rethinking Drinking. And if you just Google Rethinking Drinking and perhaps at NIH for National Institutes of Health, it'll pop up right away. It's written in very good plain language, very accessible, but it is grounded in the science and it explains what are the concerns about alcohol, what do we consider hazardous drinking, what might be warning signs of a problem, and if you're looking for help, uh, what what your resources are, what is treatment, what are the different types of treatment, where might you go. Uh, it's just a terrific resource. Okay. And when this is put on a podcast, we'll link to that website you just mentioned. Uh, but uh, for now, if you'd like to look up, set, set your browser uh, to search for Rethinking Drinking. Uh, let's uh, welcome another guest to our hour here. Stacy Schroeder is with us. She's Coalition Director of the North Fayette Valley Community Coalition, Inc. That's an organization, I understand, dedicated to reducing the abuse uh, misuse of alcohol and drugs in that community. Stacy, welcome to the program. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today and share a little bit about prevention. Yes, we are excited about raising awareness and changing lives that have been, well, knocked off the rails by alcohol. And uh, Stacy, tell us a little bit more about your organization, uh, what you do, what your organization does, and, and then, you know, give us your feedback on this report that Paul's been talking about. Yes, so the North Fayette Valley Community Coalition is um, a small coalition located in Elgin, and we are, our role is really to bring together uh, community members to identify areas of concern uh, with substance use and misuse, and then find the strategies to maybe address that. And sometimes we focus on individual factors, working with young people, uh, building their skills, putting more tools in their toolbox to kind of cope with all the things that they're doing. And other times we look at prevention as, um, or policies rather, as a prevention strategy. So changing some of those things in the environment that people maybe are not thinking about or don't understand directly affect kind of their use, and in this case, their alcohol use. Um, The NFBCC is just one of many, many local coalitions across the state, and we are also fortunate to be part of a statewide coalition, the Iowa Alliance of Coalitions for Change. Mm -hmm. Stacey, what are your your takes on this report? React directly to what's, what's said here, the alarming trends, but more importantly, perhaps, um, the recommendations. Do you think those are those are on target for tackling this increasing problem? Absolutely. So I was also a member of the team that worked on this report and absolutely believe that the strategies presented are some of the most effective and research-driven strategies that we have to really address, you know, the data points that have been identified. Uh, there has been um, research over many years to show that even a small increase in excise taxes on alcohol um, can decrease uh, the amount of alcohol use by those that are maybe just exploring, you know, the price is too high, we don't really want to spend our money on this, to those that are even maybe excessively drinking, you know, when they run out of money in their budget, it's drawing, you know, slowing down the amount of alcohol that they're drinking. Mm -hmm. We also see alcohol density, you know, the number of retailers in an area, a neighborhood, a community, definitely also uh, has a direct relationship to the amount of excessive drinking. If you're able to get it everywhere, um, obviously, there's more of an encouragement, a more normalcy of consuming alcohol. And always, you know, collecting that data, that public health surveillance, having a better understanding of what's going on, and making sure that we're focusing our resources where they need to be focused, rather than just thinking we know what's going on mm-hmm. is always um, important as well. Our guest this first half hour, Rachel, was, was so eloquent and so powerful in recounting her story, Stacy. I hope you heard that. But also, yeah. she said that actually the pandemic helped her. It could have brought it to to a head, her drinking problem. And uh, talk a little bit about what happened now. We have some hindsight there about, and we remember this, we were all cocooned at home, (laughs) discouraged (laughs) from getting together with groups, going to restaurants, going to bars. And so what happened there uh, with alcohol and the, I guess, encouragement of alcohol consumption and access? 
Yes. So we actually saw sales of alcohol, even though our bars and restaurants were closed, alcohol sales had actually increased in Iowa uh, during the earliest months of the pandemic. And that continued for quite a while during the pandemic. You know, some of that may had to do with people were not having to get up in the morning and go to work. People did not maybe have some of the things to do that they had been doing um, in the past. And so really, we did see uh, some of those consumption numbers go up at a time of uncertainty and anxiety and fear and also just trying to, you know, do some things that maybe they thought were fun uh, during a very trying time for many. Mm -hmm. Stacey, Paul Gilbert wants to jump in here. Paul, what do you have to say? I just wanted to add that this was not necessarily an unexpected trend. Like Just like Stacy said, we saw sales skyrocket. We've got evidence now that consumption increased. And this is a pretty well-known and studied phenomenon that when there is a major stressor, one of the frequent coping responses is people turn to drinking. So we have evidence after the 9-11 attacks in New York, after Hurricane Katrina, after mm-hmm. Hurricane Sandy in New York, mm-hmm. drinking went up. And then a year, two, three years later, People realized they had developed problems and started seeking treatment. Um, So part of the early warning sign with the pandemic, too, was like, okay, we've got to be prepared with our treatment services. You saw it coming. Yes, absolutely. This was not unexpected. And and we have a trauma, a national trauma in all of those cases, and uh, then reach out for self-medication and then uh, get addicted to that medication, right? And if you remember, early on in the pandemic, there was a lot of maybe playful social media chatter about Zoom happy hours or drinking at home. But, you know, some of the populations where we saw the sharpest increases were, for example, parents with young children at home. Yeah. Um, and again, in this sort of stress and coping framework, this makes sense. But it has some pretty serious implications at large, and, and we have to be ready to address that. Yeah. Um, Paul and Stacy, the report that you're involved in really emphasizes that the, the trends we're seeing, the most alarming trends are, are among older, 45 and over in, in Iowa and men specifically there. But uh, Stacy, speak to the to the point that the, the, you, we've got to address all ages, don't we? I mean, we had Rachel there, you know, as a, it sounded like a little girl going around to parties and, and can I try a little of this? Can I try a little of that? And by 14, she was had a, a, a recognized, as she said it, uh, alcohol, you know, she was way into it. So so is there a, a population that's at risk more than another? In my work, we always believe everybody's at risk. There's always some kind of risk factors that are always there. Obviously, with Rachel, that, you know, gives an example of somebody at a young age, it seemed innocent enough. Uh, we have a lot of times families and parents and students that we work with believe, you know, it's it's harmless. I did it. I'm okay. Everything's fine. Just let them have, you know, a few drinks. And what starts innocently enough can become, you know, again, just going to college. I'm having fun. I'm part of the culture. I'm enjoying what is going on in my life right now. And then we move into our 30s and we're drinking to cope with the stresses at work. And and then we find out in our 40s and 50s, we have stomach problems or we've been diagnosed with breast cancer or we have an increased risk of diabetes. We see that what starts as something innocently enough can just even without 
having alcoholism present in our life become something much more later on in life. And by the time there is a breast cancer diagnosis or there is, um, a, you know, diabetes uh, present, it's hard to undo those things. And so in our work as prevention, we work very hard to educate people on what that looks like and to educate parents that it's not harmless allowing your children to drink and trying to be their friend and having the parties in the backyard. It's not harmless to host, um, you know, large celebrations, always making sure that the alcohol is there. All of those little things are contributing over a period of years to those health harms that we're now seeing with older Iowans. And culturally seeing, Paul, perhaps, you know, when you have those large gatherings and, and you you decided, well, we'll have alcohol as a part of it, maybe you'll not make it quite the focal point that that, that it tends to be, toasting and, you know, oh, you know, so that the people who would love to not have a drink don't feel pressure to have a drink. Right. It can be very uncomfortable if you're a, a non-drinker, uh, either never drunk or or in recovery, you know, to be in an environment like that. And, you know, <clears throat> we've just passed graduation season, but that's the time when a lot of the local coalitions will do educational campaigns, either promoting, uh, you know, no alcoholic graduation parties or simple steps that folks can take to maybe move the cooler in a place where where underage folks won't have access to it or monitoring who's taking what drinks or uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've uh, got less than 10 minutes uh, in our program here. So it's such valuable information, um, awareness raising that is much needed in a state that is, well, statistically well known uh, for drinking heavily, binge uh, drinking, and for really, uh, you haven't addressed this, Paul, a, a really a lack of um, what, what, what alcohol policy in the state is. We rank near the end, near well, the last... Yeah, from my colleagues who study alcohol policy specifically, they've come up with uh, uh, an index, the strength of the alcohol policies, and we rank towards the bottom of all U.S. states. And in fact, there were changes a couple of years ago, starting early in the pandemic, relaxation on some of the traditional control measures we had. Now we allow home delivery of alcohol. We allow cocktails to go. And there is a a principle that the more it's available, the more people may be using and misusing it, and the more underage drinkers may have access to it. So that's a bit of a concern. Okay. Let's add to our conversation before we end the hour. Jessica Dunker, President and CEO of the Iowa Restaurant Association. Jessica, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me today. You've been listening to this conversation, I think, uh, for almost the entire hour, if not the entire hour here. We've talked about recommendations. I want to have you react to those specifically to curb drinking taken from this research uh, implemented across the country, uh, setting hours of sale, times of sale, the density of outlets that was discussed, traffic stops, compliance checks. Uh, how much sellers are in compliance with who can buy and when, limiting the to-go options, some of the strategies worked out there. React to that as as someone who represents uh, Iowa restaurants. Well, first of all, I want to thank the Iowa Department of Public Health for the study. I think it shares a lot of really valuable information that um, everyone should take a look at the report if they are interested. 
Um, one of the most uh, telling statistics was actually in their summary, which noted that in 2019, there were 598 deaths involving alcohol. And that preliminary data was showing a significant increase up to 760 alcohol-related deaths during 2020 in the year that restaurants and bars were closed Mm -hmm. for a large portion of the time. And what I think that tells us is that drinking is not meant to be an activity done in isolation or by yourself. And one of the policy problems that we have as as the state of Iowa was that in 2011, we lifted the prohibition of the sale of liquor where gasoline is sold. And all of a sudden, overnight, we had 800 new liquor stores available to us where we purchased gasoline. And so the 16-year-old clerk at a gas station is much more likely to be contributing to underage drinking in particular, nor are they going to stop someone who is obviously intoxicated from purchasing additional alcohol because they're not trained to do so. So from the restaurant and and bar standpoint, we feel like as an industry, we emphasize training in large part because it saves us money. We get insurance rates based on whether or not we train staff in responsible alcohol service. Mm -hmm. So when you're coming into one of our establishments, you're much less likely to get behind a wheel to pass out and be left alone where to die. I mean, we're, we're going to take care of our customers and we're going to take care of each other and we're going to uh, offer you food and we're going to temper, we're going to slow you down. Yeah. And so I think that the isol, you know, when you look at 60 and older, isolation is a large part of what is likely driving this. Mm-hmm. My reaction to the policies that are recommended is that there will be um, very detrimental unintended consequences if to the the hospitality community if some of these things are put into place without thought with a lot of thoughtful implementation specifically Um, what which parts well so first of all is the the alcohol density per capita so determining how do you go into a community and determine who gets to sell and who doesn't if you have a per capita restriction? Are you going to give up your gas station? Are you going to give up your drugstore? Because they're both liquor stores today. Or are you going to have the corner tavern be the one that's closed down? When we look at the, the how rural the state of Iowa is, the idea that hospitality establishments might get lumped in to the you know, thousands, actually, of retail outlets where you can buy packaged alcohol to go. That's of concern to us. Um, Another one that we would worry about is the minimum pricing on alcohol. Not that we want a lot of cheap alcohol out there into the world, but one of the things that people don't realize is that we're not allowed to buy liquor from the state as the restaurant and bar um, industry. We have to go to Hy-Vee too. We have to go to Casey's too. We aren't, so they aren't tracking how much liquor is being sold into our industry because they don't sell to us. If you start raising those prices, um, the, the people that are most affected are the small business owners that are still trying to recover from COVID because you've just upped the price of their, their signature drink because you've upped the well prices. You know, this study actually shows that the greatest increases in drinking are coming from people with the highest income levels and the highest education levels. So looking at those floor prices isn't really going to be impacting the people, at least in this study that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. It's only going to be impacting small business owners who are trying to 
to get really just to come back from one and a half billion dollars of unrecoverable losses. So um, another thing, you know, there's some other things in here, but I think we, those are the two that were primarily mentioned. And, yeah. you know, we're ready for discussion always because we don't mm-hmm. actually think we're the issue. We, we feel like we're always the industry that's called to defend studies like this when at the end of the day, this, this study is pointing to people buying at everywhere from their drugstore when they're picking up their medications and buying their gasoline and not that they are coming out of our restaurants and bars where they've been served a great meal and responsibly served alcohol. Such a valuable perspective from you, Jessica Dunker, president and CEO of the Iowa Restaurant Association. We certainly all love the restaurants in our communities and uh, and want them to thrive, especially post-pandemic, revive and recover in many cases. Paul, what do you, uh, in closing here, what, what do you think of, of Jessica's uh, reaction and, and in part uh, criticisms of the recommendations of this report? You know, I think Jessica raises some really good points, and I agree with some of them. Uh, Her point about uh, 16-year-old underage, under legal age to purchase alcohol, clerks selling alcohol. We know that near peers are a major source of alcohol for underage drinkers. Um, It's very hard to reduce the... the, Resist the pressure of selling to a friend or, or somebody uh, near your age. Right. And, and um, as a 16-year-old, your brain is is not matured. I mean, for males, it doesn't it, get matured yeah. until mid-20s. So yeah. you're asking someone that with an immature brain to, to make a really responsible choice when the, their friend comes yeah. to them and says, hey, you work at the gas station. You can get me some, right? That That's correct. I also think, though, that there it's not an either-or proposition. And I think some of the ways that we might reinstate some control measures would benefit restaurants and bars and taverns. You know, they want patrons in there in person. Um, They'll make more money having people there rather than buying alcohol for home delivery or taking it away to go. Um, I do think there is an important concern about the density of alcohol outlets. Whatever type of alcohol outlet, we do need to address that. Okay. Valuable discussion. Thank you very much, Paul Gilbert of the University of Iowa College of Public Health and uh, Jessica Dunker, President and CEO of the Iowa Restaurant Association. Stacy Schroeder, Coalition Director of the North Fayette Valley Community Coalition. Thank you for joining us, uh, all of you. What a valuable uh, discussion. Thank you. And Paul, very quickly, where should people look online for that resource again, that, that website that you think is just terrific? I'm sure it it's is. Rethinking Drinking. There's also one called yourlifeiowa.org that is local if you're looking for resources here. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Today, you've been listening to an encore edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. 